3: Welcome to the Real Features Podcast. My name is Sam. I'm joined by the founder, as per usual, Paul Cookson. How are you?
0: I'm excellent, thank you. Very excited for today's episode. Oh so. my
3: god! Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah. Australian well, acting royalty.
0: Oh no! This guy has just cleaned up every award known to Australian TV. Going around, it's like the Godfather. <laughs> talk about royalty. If we became a a uh, republic or whatever he would be my choice to he's lead the, the country.
3: I feel like he is so wise. So what, like a president? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Give him all the power. And the, I mean, he was,
0: a, he was a cop. He played a cop. Uh, you know, Cops the and presidents of the are very different, Paul. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Jesus. Of a small town. You know, not taking away <laughs> from the role. But Jesus. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, who we are alluding to, is yes. John Wood. Sir yes. John Wood.
0: Oh, great man. Yes, yeah. very generous with his time. And, uh, yeah, gave us some good scoops as well. Some, he did. Uh, he um yeah. took
3: a bit of a swing at uh, good old <laughs> Tom Gleason, which was pretty funny. i <laughs> love <laughs>
0: we'll to get a right of, right of reply from him, but um, that was good. That was yeah, funny yeah, about was the fun.
3: Logies, you know, because, I mean, he's... <laughs> He was nominated for I mean we talk about in the interview but like 10,000 Logies he finally got one yeah but it was kind of back when Logies they really meant something there was a lot more TV yeah. um, Australian TV kicking around good dramas and um, Absolutely. yeah he's he's kind of done it all really
0: theatre written a book it's just done it all yeah, yeah everything writing his own stuff he's even gave us a little scoop that he's he's working on a A series that might even reunite him with uh, the great Lisa McCune. I mean, wowzers! That is that pairing. Has there ever been a better one in Australian TV? I don't think so. So yeah, be amazing. The amount of logies between those two, uh, yeah, (laughs) a lot. (laughs) Even the story of what he does with his logies as well is pretty hilarious. In the interview, you have to listen to that one. But um, yeah, it's very enjoyable. uh, Great guy,
3: kind of funny. Well, it wasn't that funny because you were having technical difficulties. But um, oh. while that was happening, a bit of uh, inside knowledge here, John and I were just chewing the fat. We were just having a chat while you were trying to work out your microphone system or whatever. But I'm moving and I joined along the path.
0: and ruined the whole chemistry, yeah. didn't I? <laughs> it would be, like,
3: incredible chemistry. I was almost like, maybe you'll stay out. This will be great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, absolutely not. You came back with some absolutely crisp material. But what he was saying was <laughs> he drives past the house I'm about to move into all the time. We're practically bloody neighbours.
0: You can become friends. We could have a third co-host at this rate yep. with John Wood. So, yeah.
3: That would work. he has got a great voice for <laughs> you, be- as you're all about to hear. Um, yeah. But no, it was a really fun chat. And as you said, really generous with his time and um, very excited to see what else um, he releases, what comes out
0: yeah absolutely yeah such a good actor um deserves to be on our airwaves so hopefully he's on on there soon yeah yeah
3: done well guys enjoy this chat
0: all right welcome back to a real features podcast um we are absolutely delighted to introduce our next guest He's a six-time Logie winner. He's been nominated for a Gold Logie, or he was nominated for a Gold Logie every year from 1997 to 2006 when he won the award. Now, for our overseas listeners, that's essentially Australia's top honour, signifying the most popular personality on TV. Uh, He's a screenwriter and acclaimed stage actor. He's even written and released his own memoir, How I flawed my way back to the middle uh, he's acted in almost every tv show of note in australia over the last 40 years he's probably best known for his leading role in the legal drama rafferty rules and playing senior sergeant tom croydon in the police drama blue heelers for over 12 years he's australian uh, he's australian acting royalty ladies ladies and gentlemen mr john wood
1: Where's my crown? <laughs> <laughs> that's it, exactly. <laughs> the king is here. Ockelson, yeah, that's it. The king. Uh, resume,
3: though. Yeah. How are you, John? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, going well. It's a sunny day in Melbourne. It's um. Yes, we'll nice. Just,
1: nice.
3: Yeah, we're just talking about uh, grass growing uh, because <laughs> it is at the moment. You're doing a lot of it mowing today.
1: And I'm doing a lot of mowing. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Um, John, as Paul alluded to in that intro, I mean, your career has spanned over 40 years. What do you put the success
2: Actually, 50.
3: 50. Sorry.
2: I'm just just, missing a decade.
3: Sorry. Good Lord. All right. So let me rephrase that. Um, you've been on our screen for 50 years. What do you put the success and longevity of your career down to? And you don't have to be humble here. If it's just talent, you can say that.
1: I wish it was just talent. Um, uh, look, you know, like you can have all the talent in the world, but you've also, also got to have a lot of patience and perseverance and uh, and you don't necessarily get all the, all the roles that you go for or all the roles that you would really like. I mean, I was tremendously lucky in my career to get the role of, Rafferty, because I would imagine that every actor my age, and that you know that was back when I was in my mid-thirties, I, I imagine everyone in their mid-thirties was going for that role. And why I got it, I don't know. But, uh and funnily enough, I mean it had all they'd already made a pilot of it, directed by the writer, who was a guy named Ben Lewin, who has been quite successful in Hollywood, I think, but. Um, Ben um, actually directed it and for some reason they couldn't edit it uh, you know so they decided to reshoot it in the original the original pilot they shot Chris Haywood played
2: oh wow okay
1: Mark Little played uh, the Fulvio character I think uh simon chill still played sergeant flicker and i think maybe even kate wilkin played pauline but when they came to redo the pilot um for reasons best known to them i I have no idea but uh and I, i i had been asked to audition for the for the pilot and uh i wasn't available i was doing something else and uh I think I was actually playing Menzies in The Last Bastion, which was David, ah. with, David and Kristen wrote that. And uh, that was about basically the battle for Singapore, but uh, mm. from a political perspective. And uh, and uh, so I just wasn't available. And when it came to it, Chris wasn't available for some reason, I don't know why. And I think Mark Little had gone off to uh, become a famous radio announcer in the UK. Yeah, and so I mean the roles went to myself and Archie Michael as yeah. Fulvio. And I mean Archie's character characterisation as Fulvio is probably one of the most favourite. Of any character on television, you know, certainly in the time I've been watching, everybody doesn't mm-hmm. matter. I mean, people still ask me where he is and what he's doing. Yeah. I've no idea. It's a bit I mean, he lives in Sydney, he's, he's a Melbourne boy originally, he's from St. Albans, but uh, yeah, he he uh, uh he's sort of vanished into the woodwork a bit. I know he uh. I know he still gets uh, a lot of theater work and uh, well I hope he does the uh, yeah. you know, last couple of years as you would know have been terrible for all actors and absolutely for old hams like me it's been a nightmare
2: yeah I, but, I don't it.
1: nobody who wants a 76 year old nobody really it's uh, really? so it's it's been a it's been a tough couple of years but uh do you anyway, feel like
3: it's bouncing back a little for yourself and in general
1: oh i su- i certainly hope so yes yeah. uh, i did some voiceovers yesterday in fact for a new series of uh industry super funds ads which oh, i've been
0: all right.
1: doing i've been the voice of industry super funds for yes. about 15 years and uh And they renewed it yesterday, which is fantastic. So maybe 15 years, and I'm long dead. (laughs) (laughs) You'll still be hearing me say, compare the bear. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you're that guy. All right.
3: (laughs) Um, So just on that, so with the, the rafferty rules, would you say that was almost the thing that gave your career I don't know, like an ignition or a bit of momentum at the start of it? Is that what you're kind of alluding
2: it to? It
1: certainly or? gave uh, it certainly gave it some momentum in the 80s. Uh, I started working as a professional actor in 1970. I graduated from NIDA at the end of mm. 1970. And all I actually ever wanted to do was work on stage. And funnily enough, the first job I did was a, a, a show called... It was called minus five. I don't know why, but it was called minus five. But when it finally went to air, it uh, it went to air as Barrier Reef, okay. and it was a group of scientists on a on a ship in the Wind, Whitsun Bay Passage, and uh, they were you know they were geographers and oceanographers and things like that, and and I and a couple of other guys. Uh, Came in as, as some university students who were pretending to be pirates and we tried to steal the ship, uh, <laughs> you know, as you do, you know. Like yeah. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was my introduction to television. And uh, well, my introduction was just slightly before that because uh, it was the first job I'd been offered. I, I, I'd been offered a, a gig at the Melbourne Theatre Company or. The old tote, which was the original Sydney theatre company, and uh, and you know, I had those jobs, one of those jobs lined up, and I got offered this this job on Barrier Reef, which was Fauna Productions, sort of the mob who made Skippy. Ah, you know,
2: sure. uh, yep,
1: oh, nice, and uh, and it was you know, it was the end of 1969, going into 1970, and for some reason, Actors Equity, which I'd just joined, went on strike. Oh, wow! Old not to, not to work, and uh, <laughs> I got a phone call. Uh, not not on a mobile. You know, I lived in a share house or accommodation with lots of different rooms, and uh, we had a. Mutual phone in the hallway, and uh, I got this phone call from the producer of, of this show, who was a woman named Joy Campbell. And uh, my understanding was that she was, you know, about five foot two, and, and a bit of a human. but <laughs> the, the, the language that came out of the earpiece was unbelievable. You know, with the threat of never getting another job again, if I. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it was. A, it was a very exciting experience. I nearly, you know, I nearly lost the job before I, before I ever did it. It was. The, yeah. It was also the first time I ever flew. I mean, we flew on a seven two seven from Sydney to Brisbane, then a Fokker Friendship from Brisbane to Proserpine, and then a one of those big Sikorsky helicopters with twin rotors. That
3: oh, yeah yeah.
1: Uh, shakes the whole. It shakes itself <laughs> the beast from there to Hayman Island, and then onto the oh, boat. Wow. Yes. Beautiful part of the world,
3: though. It's a good place to be working. Oh,
1: wonderful. Yeah. I you mean, I, well, I, you know, like some of the crew would dive overboard and catch fresh coral trout.
2: Wow. Wowzers.
1: And I thought, Wowzers. what a great job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and be an actor and. Yeah. Uh, and uh of course n- nothing's been ever ever the same and never never yes. been ever again but, yeah yeah, but it was a wonderful experience yeah
0: and off the back of Rafi rules um you ended up getting um obviously we've mentioned all the the logies but you won a couple for that and then obviously the you know you kept kept collecting them throughout your career i can only imagine what your version of the pool room would look like with all the little men statues,
2: uh,
1: well, <laughs> sitting in there, and... not in this room. There's a, there's another room at the other end of the house, which is sort of a well, I call it a library, but it's uh, you know, it's not that much of a library, it's mostly full of records, and uh, oh, yeah, but they make great bookends. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, roll, a row of books, and you know, you put a Logie up in it, or, yeah. You know, <laughs> But of course, whenever, whenever anybody comes here to take photographs, they always want to put them all together. So, yeah, yes, get everyone off the shelf and yeah, uh, I just- use
3: them for shelving, guys. Come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's. Uh, but look, I'm very aware of what a great honour it was to win all those awards. It's uh. It's uh. You know, it's it's been belittled a bit. Uh, Tom Gleason's got a—I don't know what his story is. I mean, I've only met him a couple of times, but uh, he's he's sort of made he's made them worthless, really. Yeah, you know? uh, he's
3: a stand-up comedian, so he just puts crap on everything, essentially.
1: <laughs> yes, he does. I I I really uh, I find his uh, style of hard quiz quite, you know, asking the questions quite objectionable. I mean, I think he belittles people and, uh, mm. and, uh, that's not the job of a host. I don't think, you know, mm. look, it's, sometimes it's very funny, but, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. But I, uh, you know,
1: look, I, I'm very proud of all those wins, particularly when I did Rafferty's rules, I won Logie's for most outstanding actor two yeah. years running and, uh, when you think of the number of actors that were working on television at the time, and things like country practice had been around for a long time, and there were, you know, a couple of cop shows, and you know, like all sorts of things. And yeah. To be considered the most outstanding actor in that field of people was wonderful. Yeah, know? a
3: real honour, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, great honour.
3: So- yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Absolutely, and
3: just you know, on on acting in general. I mean, actors all have different approaches to how they go about it—method acting, things like that. But what is your kind of approach? Are you a method <laughs> actor, or how do you go about getting into a character? You know, you've had some iconic characters. Did you oh, walk around I'm...
0: the house for fourteen years as uh, Sergeant Tom? Green. Tom, Coyne, <laughs> <you know? laughs>
1: uh, that wouldn't work with my family. A... <laughs> it's um. I, there, there are no hard and fast rules, I don't think. And I think once you instigate hard and fast rules, it all starts to fall apart a bit. You know, if you, if you decide you're a method actor and you don't go beyond that, if you, you know, if that's what you stick to. I remember we had a, I won't mention names, but <laughs> uh, he's, he's considered a great acting tutor and he helps out. All the time on various film sets for, to get, help people get into character, but he came onto Rafferty's rules and uh, and he was late for work the day we were starting shooting. I mean, we'd been in rehearsals and stuff, but because he was so tied to the method, he was sort of trapped in it in a way, yeah. and uh, um, and you know, like. Commercial television is is like a sausage machine, you know. Just if you don't get it all into the skin, <laughs> it all falls apart, you know. Yeah. So you've got to you've got to keep it keep the machine operating, and uh, you know, there's no time to talk about character or yeah. you know, like it's it's uh, you've got to have a very clear idea of what you want to do. Right from the start, you know, from the very yeah. minute you set your foot on the floor, you need to, uh, that's the washing machine. Is that, uh, too, is that too annoying? I can't hear the I washing machine. I can hear the dog.
3: What, what type of dog do you have? Oh, it's
1: Jack Russell, who's nearly twenty, <laughs> and uh, he's uh, he's more geriatric than I am. He's <laughs> But uh, As I say, you put your foot on the floor and, and you've got to be ready to go. And yeah. Uh, this guy wanted to talk about his character to the director for I think he took up nearly the whole morning.
3: Oh my God.
1: That, you know, like that's, that's impossible. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was late, to, he was late for filming because he didn't, he, he hitchhiked to the studio, you know, and the studio was right out of Epping in Sydney and, uh, He actually had cab dockets, but my character wouldn't use cab dockets.
3: Oh my God. (laughs) You're
1: not the character when you're on your way to work. (laughs) So, anyway, I mean, he'll probably recognize himself from all that description. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Let's play a guessing game. No, we won't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
2: Oh, my
0: goodness. Um, I mean, Blue Hillers was one of the most successful shows, uh, you know, on on well, well, potentially in Australia for I don't know for a very long time. I think, and it probably still is, given given um, how big it was at that. Probably yeah.
1: It's probably one of the yeah. most, one of the best rating shows we've ever had. Um,
0: mm. What do you think made that so successful? And and with the dialogue as well, was much of that was majority of that scripted, or was there a bit of sort of free flowing oh, ad lib as yeah. well, or yeah.
1: There is- you know. Yeah, right. In television, um, you know, Graham Kennedy used to add lib all the time, but that was a different situation. But, <laughs> you know, writers have poured over these scripts for weeks and weeks and script editors and producers and directors. And and by the time you get the script, it's in fairly good shape. I mean, you certainly allowed to make suggestions and ask if you can change things, but you, you know, generally speaking, what's written is what is performed, and yep. uh, there's not a lot of ad-libbing. Uh, I mean, you know, okay. very, very rarely. Yeah. And like the the reason, most of the reason, most of the time, the reason for people going up and falling apart in the set is, you know, somebody throws in an ad lib, and it's just. Uh,
2: yeah,
3: where oh, am that, I? What, that, yeah.
1: what was that? <laughs> the whole sphere is broken, and that, uh, and you know, like, I, I don't imagine that there are too many movies that are made that are that have many ad libs in them. I mean, I mm. think Alan, for example, who is a great comedian, would, uh, you know, like, I think his films would be pretty tightly scripted. I, I don't know, I've,
2: mm. I've never yeah.
1: seen it, but uh, yeah,
0: it, it seemed like as well from Blue Healers, I mean. The, it seemed like all the cast had a pretty good relationship yeah i mean it all seemed so natural the way you would all talk to each other i mean we were all pretty pretty close at, outside of um the cameras as well it'd be well, hilarious we, if you said not at all we, but
1: <laughs> we were all uh really good mates and uh, there's no doubt about that and you know like you come to a show like blue healers and uh yeah I, yeah, I was uh, well. I very nearly, nearly didn't get the job um, because the uh, one of the heads of programming at Channel Seven uh, didn't believe that anybody. He's he thought that nobody would believe me as a police sergeant hmm. because they'd oh. remember me as a magistrate, and so don't give me the job because it's not going to work. And. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I was very lucky to get that as well. Yeah. Mm. Because, as I say, every every actor my age would have wanted to play it.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. What a success! Yeah, it was a runaway success for for Australian well, fantastic. TV.
1: Fantastic, but you know, when it started, nobody in the show was actually known to an audience except mm. for me, which mm, uh, that's true. Yeah. You, oh. uh, you know. I mean, I'm not bragging about that or being a blowhard about it, but mm. we, uh, when we all first met, I'd never seen any of the others in anything. Yeah. Although mm. I apparently William was in an episode of uh, Rafferty's Rules. Ah. I, yeah, I've no uh, idea who you are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but then Russell Crowe was in an episode as well, and I. Oh that wow!
2: That. There you go. Huh. Huh. There
1: um, we go. Uh, I think like, William, uh, a wonderful actor. I mean, he's, he's yes. a terrific uh, he's just got so much talent. You know, like it, mm. it just oozes out of him. and it, You know, uh, he, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Really, mm. really great actor. As yeah. I'm sure Russell is too, but I've never come across Russell in the the years since he did Rafferty's Rules. But yeah. uh, Mm. But the producer the producers actually asked me when we had our meeting, what uh, our first meeting together. So there was me and William and Lisa McCune and Oh God, what was her name? And and something, Grant Moller. Um mm.
3: Martin was Martin.
1: Martin Sachs, yeah. 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 And uh, and so we had a meeting and talked about the first episode and the producer said what asked what my advice would be to the to the whole cast. And I said, in my experience, the the best thing you can possibly do is make any guest artist feel really welcome, you know, make them make them feel part of the show because yeah. without there is no show.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And if they're feeling uncomfortable and can't play the character properly, then their, uh, you know, the show suffers. And uh, I was very chuffed to hear many years later, you know, like it's, it's now been finished for. It was finished in two thousand and six, so it's a long time. And uh, yeah, and I keep, I still meet, run into people who say that it was the best set they ever worked on. You know, they. Wow. Uh, uh, that's where they felt most comfortable, more comfortable than any other uh, TV set that they'd worked in. Jeez, um,
3: That
1: was down to, I guess, you know, like, I'm not suggesting that the actors did it because of me, but, uh, it, you know, you've got to treat those people with respect because yeah. they're, yeah. Uh, while they're not stars of the show and not, their names aren't up there every week, they're, uh, the, the week that they are in it, they're tremendously important. Yeah, and absolutely. in in my opinion, more important than the stars. Yeah. If, mm. they're, if they're if they're not comfortable and not doing the best they can do, then you're uh, you're fighting an uphill bat- battle. Mm. Right?
3: Yeah, mm. absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: sorry. Yeah. What
3: were you going to say, Paul? I was just oh, going to say, is it time for the listener question? You oh, I've got
0: one more because I, I, right. I've actually heard this on, uh, but it, obviously after five hundred and ten episodes, everyone was very familiar of, uh, you know, your role in, in Blue Heel, as I heard, I think you may have mentioned this on another interview actually, but uh, I believe you've been. Some people actually mistook you as an actual policeman. <laughs> um, I think there was a, a few situations or stories where
1: um, someone, yeah, was it. People, people do that all the time. I mean, it's, you know, I had a, I've had had a couple of experiences where, you know, I was walking past Flinders Street Station and uh, this guy who obviously didn't have his Mikey card came out and jumped over the fence and he landed at my feet and he went off. <laughs> in, in big trouble and... Uh, you know, there, there was another occasion where I was, when I was doing Rafferty's Rules, we were filming at Manly Courthouse and we were filming on the front steps. And, uh, and this guy was led up the steps, you know, past the film crew and, and walked past me. He was in handcuffs and being helped up the stairs by a couple of coppers and... Uh, And he came up and he looked at me and he was, I wish you were my fucking magistrate. (laughs) So you need to be a method. If you were doing any method, you could have, uh, you know, taken the case. Well, maybe, but uh, yeah. Anyway, but I mean, that, you know, like you become very familiar, you know, like I remember standing in the street. I, I tend to prevaricate when I'm in the street, if there's a choice of two, sandwich bars I can never make up my mind which one to go into
2: yeah
1: and uh, I was standing in front of one one day and this woman came out of a, a shop next door and just took me by the arm and uh, started to walk me away and and when she realized uh, she nearly died she, she, thought I, <laughs> she thought I was her husband that level of familiarity is extraordinary you know yeah. And it's sort of understandable because you've been to their house, you know, you've been in their living room every week for five years, or in Blue Healers 12 years, yeah. Yeah.
3: Part of the furniture.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So let's let's get to the listener question. So this is a doozy. This is from Thomas Sargent. Sargent. All right. That's a fitting last name. Yeah. Yeah. So Thomas says, hey. With the rise of global streaming services, how do you think this will impact the local Australian film industry? Good question, Thomas.
1: It is a good question. And
3: I... We uh, lost John at a pivotal time.
1: Oh,
2: got him back. Here we go. He's back. (laughs) (laughs)
1: was probably somebody trying to sell me some wine. I think yeah. <laughs> you should take that call, then, John. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> do no, uh, Sorry. So uh, yeah. So it's a, a Thomas's question is good uh, and perfect surname Thomas. Yeah. He, <laughs> I I'm hopeful that it's uh, that it's going to be good for Australian television. Uh, well, it can only it can only be be good because you know to be perfectly honest, the commercial networks, apart from the fact that uh, I think Channel Ten is about to do a reboot of Heartbreak High, mm. the commercial networks in Australia have done nothing for as long as as long as reality shows really and contestant well, shows. Yeah, I can't think of a single single drama. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Um, on any of the commercial networks. So, I mean, hopefully the streaming services will be good for the business. And, I mean, I've just spent, as I said earlier, I think uh, I've spent most of the last two and a half years not doing anything in the business. And I've been sitting here on the computer typing and writing a, a TV comedy. Um oh, wow. wow. We're sort of... We're about to be in discussions hopefully with one of the streaming services. Wow, who are looking for a half hour comedy! So fantastic! So let's hope, you know, yeah, we'll yeah,
3: it. absolutely. Yeah. Ding, ding. Yeah. And <laughs> if it does provide, like I know streamers like Stan and they are really looking to do local content and use Australian actors and
1: directors and content, which is great.
0: Yeah, they're making well, a lot of original well, stuff, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, I think in the last, you know, little while, I, I've been, I've been really enjoying Savage River. I don't know if you've. Uh, I don't
2: think,
1: think I've seen actually. that one.
0: Yeah. Have you seen that, Paul? No, I haven't actually.
1: It's ABC, yeah, Not really. Uh, okay. But you know, the ABC. Thank God for the ABC. Mm.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
0: It's interesting because I mean, we we're talking about the gold Logies before about how back then it kind of meant. A lot because it was sort of you had all these massive dramas that you know it, it really was, you know, the best the content was there TV, you know, almost actor and actress, uh, during that that time. Whereas now it's sort of almost just a popularity contest on, on you know, kind of who's it's not really, yeah, I don't know, it's personally, it feels been, like it's yeah, watered yeah, it it down because there's not, not as much, yeah, original con-
1: content, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, it's. I'm I'm very, as I said earlier, I'm very proud of the fact that I won those most outstanding actor logies because they were, they were judged on the work I'd done, not on my popularity. And
2: Mm -hmm. in
1: fact, the first logie I won was for best supporting actor in *Power of Our Glory* back in '75, I think, or '76, and. and that that was ABC, and in fact, I think it took out just about every logie it could win back then. But
2: uh, mm.
1: but it was also the first big uh, costume drama that the ABC made. It was, mm. uh, and uh, unfortunately, I don't think they've they're expensive to make, and I don't mm. think they've uh, kept up their quota. But uh, no. It was mm. sort of, it's sort of interesting when you when you see the the level of money that has, you know, that Foxtel and Seven are prepared to pay for the football, mm. for the NFL, which, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not resentful or anything, but, you know, like, it's a, a shitload of money. It is. Just, they, like, it is. It's literally like, what is it,
3: close to a of billion dollars, some of those deals.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you know, four point five billion. Is that what it was? You know, and it's going to raise the average wage of a of a, of an average footballer from three hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars a year to five hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, most of the actors I know have never earned three hundred thousand dollars. So, mm. you know, I mean, I have a couple of times in my career earned that sort of money, but
2: yeah, you know, yeah,
1: 95- of actors, well 99% of actors would yeah. never earn anything yeah. and, and I think that's tragic really you know, <laughs> mm.
2: remember
1: when uh, Blue Heelers was cancelled because of the football you know no oh,
2: question.
1: Wow. and Seven Network uh, refuses to accept the fact that that's what it was but there's no, no question after and the the amount of money we're talking now 4.5 4. billion is is huge i mean it's over a period of 8 years but back yeah. back in the day when blue healers was cancelled they the, uh, the 7 network signed a contract with the afl for 790 million for the broadcast rights for 2 years mm-hmm. <laughs> 790 million for 2 yeah. years i mean we would have been lucky to have ten million spent on Blue healers over its entire lifetime. I was going
3: to say you can make a lot of Blue healers for seven hundred ninety million.
1: Yeah, well, I worked it out to about seventy-five years. Yeah. seventy-five years. My brother, who's a mathematician, a scientist, worked it out at two thousand dollars a kick.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh my god,
1: <laughs> it is crazy to think Blue Heelers. Yeah, again, as we said, one of the biggest
0: shows in Australian history, and yet. The, the, that difference, yeah, it's just crazy, Mind- mm. mind-boggling, because the ratings of Blue Heelers compared to AFL,
1: yeah. It's, sure it's, very hard. And so the, the ratings were starting to slip, yeah. um, but it was still rating over a million most weeks, and it was rating better than All Saints, mm-hmm. which mm. was retained at the time. It was retained because it was a Channel 7 production, whereas Blue Heelers was uh, Southern Star. Yeah. Right Something had to go, so it was pretty obvious which one would go, and we did. And uh, you know, look, fair enough. I mean, I don't, I don't hold any grudges or anything. It's, uh, but it's,
2: mm.
1: you know, like I wish they would bandy those sort of figures about for making Australian drama on television. Yeah, really? Really? And not even
3: if it's that full amount, but just. A little more this yeah. I, <laughs> <There's no digital laughs>
1: I mean I don't know what I don't know what the arts budget is for for uh, the ABC and all the you know and Opera Australia and all the major theatre companies, but I don't think that would come to anything like four. No. no. And we're talking so. about a lot of a lot of employees in those those companies. And in that industry, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I think it's tragic that it's, it sort of speaks of uh, how little respect there is for the arts mm. in political circles. Yeah. Which is a shame, really. Yeah. Mm.
3: I agree. Um, yeah. But John, we should um, get to our movie section. Now, you chose an absolute doozy, a classic. So the film you chose to discuss with us today is Casablanca. Um, now, Paul Cookson, not to put you on the spot, but do you have any stats? Because I know you had to bring these up and you...
0: No, that's all good. I'm good to go. Yeah. Yes. Um, great, great selection. Um, this one is currently rated on IMDb number 42 of the all-time greatest films, So it is an absolute classic, as we all know. Um, Casablanca, the 1942 uh, film. Um, it's currently 8.5 on IMDb. Um, the director was Michael Curtis. Um, it's based on the book Everybody Comes to Ricks um, and stars, of course, the great Humphrey Bogart, uh, Ingrid Bergman, um, Paul Henried, and uh, Peter Lorre. Um, and the basic storyline uh, is a cynical uh uh, American cafe owner struggles to decide whether or not to help his former lover and her future fugitive husband escape the Nazis in French Morocco. So uh, great film this one. Mm, definitely
1: it's a right? terrific film. Yeah.
3: yeah. And what uh I mean you could choose any film. Why did you choose this one? What does it mean to you?
1: Oh uh, well I, pro- I I suppose it's the film I've probably seen more than any other. Uh my mother was a huge film buff and uh, she used to collect uh, cigarette cards, you know, like from you know, when, when she was a little girl, she collected cigarette cards. And of course most cigarette cards had movie stars on them, you know, film stars. And I, I sort of became fascinated by people like, uh, like Bogart and Spencer Tracy, you know, they, they were the people that, uh, that always looked most interesting on those sort of cards, and uh, and then when we f- when we finally got television, I watched most of those movies in black and white, although well, they were all in black and white anyway. But uh, the the actors like Spencer Tracy and Bogart really appealed to my my own sense of. Um, performance you know not that i would really given any thought to being an actor at that stage but i uh, i mean it's 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 ridiculous to say that there's there's a uh there's a great naturalism about bogart because he has so many tics and mannerisms but uh but there are you know there are there's just something real about his performances you know and I, and, uh, and although you would never you know if people showed you a photograph of him as uh Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe or Rick in Casablanca you would ha- you would hardly be able to pick the difference between you know, which is true of all of us. I mean, (laughs) you know, nobody would uh, fail to recognise me anywhere either, but, but there was a, you know, there there was a great naturalness about his performances. And uh, again, with Spencer Tracy, there was a great naturalness about his, his work as well, despite the fact that he was often looking at the desk to, you know, remind himself of the lines or looking at the <laughs> You know, and it, it's um, but there was you know, there's something about them as human beings that really appealed to me, and uh, and I, I mean, I just love the storyline of uh, Casablanca. You know, like I, I guess, like many of the people of my generation, you know. With the unfortunate title of baby boomers it's um, <laughs> I I was greatly affected by the Second World War you know um, mm. everything in our household was directly related to the experiences of my parents as survivors of the Second World War you know that mum was a, a you know had been a, just a a factory worker in Port Melbourne, and Dad had been a, a farm labourer in Swan Hill on the Murray River, and he came down at the age of 32 to enlist, and that was the first time he'd ever seen the ocean. Wow! The wow! And within a few weeks, he was on the ocean, sailing to Egypt. Jeez! To fight, you know, and he was eventually not eventually but fairly soon in 1942 he was uh taken prisoner in greece wow and you know so everything about the second world war and their part in it informed our daily lives you know and uh, and i was you know i was fascinated by this tale of morocco you know like it was such a an exotic location and yeah. uh, with the, all the stuff going on, and the, the wonderful performances of all, all the actors in it. You know, uh, Claude Rains as as the uh, French uh, detective inspector or uh, inspector general or whatever he was, and uh, and the recipient of uh, Bogart's final line, Louis. Wow. This could be the start of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. You know, like that was a, a wonderful performance. Peter Lorre's performance was sensational as the as the quivering, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> like a little would be criminal that couldn't uh, control his impulses and was eventually killed by the Germans. And mm. Paul Honreed was uh, was great as Ingrid Bergman's husband. And uh, yeah. And she was, I mean, she was fantastic. And of course, I discovered also during the course of my childhood that my my great-grandfather was Swedish, you know. So I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I developed an affinity with people like Ingrid Bergman and Ingmar Bergman, the Swedish director, because of that Swedish background of my own. And... Uh, yeah, but oh, some great performances in it. Um, yeah,
3: have you been course, to Morocco, John?
1: No, I haven't. But oh. uh, there's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful character actor in it named Essed Sakal. I I don't know if you you, you would know. you mean, even bigger, jowls. He was um, he was known as Cuddles Cuddles Sakal, and. Uh, he always, oh, rrr, rrr. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> move that much. But there's a wonderful little scene where he and his wife are trying to learn English, sitting at one of, one of Rick's coffee tables. And, what watch? Hmm? What watch? Oh, too much. <laughs> 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 you know, lovely, oh, lovely that's awesome. stuff, you know. it's uh, Yeah. But those you know those Warner Brothers films of that period you know some of the the actors that were obviously in the Warner Brothers stable including Sakal and Alan Jenkins and dozens and dozens of other people my mother used to know everybody's name wow huh, such a buff you know she would uh, you know so I learned very early in life to learn the names of the actors all the actors and and I'm always disappointed the way credits are run on television these days. You never get to, see, you know, like I can't make head nor tail of the credits. Yeah, they speed
0: through, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As <Yeah>, just...
1: <laughs> I, like I said earlier, those people are important to the yeah. story. You know, yeah, absolutely.
0: So, would you say? I mean, yeah, did that watching Casablanca? It sounds like obviously the influence of your parents uh, uh there were big movie buffs and things like that and you watched it. So did, did you think that kind of, yeah, it really triggered your desire for acting and, and watching it and kind of dreaming about, yeah, kind of. To a
1: certain degree, I imagine so, you know, like uh, I also remember seeing on television films like On the Waterfront, you know. Oh, um,
0: one of my favourites.
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, I, I remember, yes, I was always fascinated by people like Carl Molden. And uh, oh, Lee J. Cobb is in that as well. And uh, mm. but I, you know, like I was fascinated by all those character actors, they were fantastic. Mm. And I found later, you know, the further later on, that uh, Lee J. Cobb was one of the first people to play Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman.
2: Uh.
1: Death of a Salesman was the first professional play i ever did at the old tote with mm. ben gabriel as willie Loman and uh, yeah it's uh, you know like so I, I sort of feel like a small part of the continuing history of the, mm. the business which is yeah. yeah
3: how often would you watch casablanca is it you said you've probably watched it the most when was the last time you actually watched the film
1: Oh well I, I don't know to be honest. Um mm. I've probably got it on DVD, but uh I'm having trouble with my DVD player and, <laughs> and all that shit Yes. Either. Um okay. I genuinely also, you know, I must mention a film because probably nobody's ever heard of it. Um there's a fantastic film called The Fearless Vampire Killers.
2: Oh, I'm gonna mm-hmm. write that down. Mm.
1: Uh, it's uh, it's a comedy. It's a wonderful comedy, but it's it's got uh, lots of genuine horror in it, uh, and the vampires are just amazing. They're wonderful, uh, but it's a movie by Roman Polanski. Oh wow! Okay, and yeah. it was the last thing he did with Sharon Tate before she was. Oh birthday. wow! Jeez, and so she's in it, and Polanski's in it as well. Yeah. And- a sensational performance from an actor named Jack McGarren,
2: right.
1: Irish who was yeah. in probably people that are watching this would probably best remember him as the uh one of the sidekicks in in the exorcist mm. uh, you know he mm. he i think he was supposed to be a film director because the mother was an actress i think and uh yeah, and so Jack McGowan was in that, but uh, he he uh, he was also in a in a very dramatic role in uh, Polanski's black and white film called de Sac, as a, a couple of bank robbers that get you know rob all this money and then get stuck in a road they can't get out of, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I mean, The Fearless Vampire Killers is sensational. Uh, okay. Full hmm. of wonderful, you know, again, wonderful English character actors. Alfie Bass as <laughs> as a Jewish vampire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and the the, the, the uh, Baron von Krolok who's the uh, vampire, is played by an actor named Ferdy Main, um, who's. You know, it's just wonderful in the role, and his son is played by a Canadian actor, and his his son is a gay vampire. And uh, I mean, look, it is just hysterically funny.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, funny, and that that would have been, you know, my other choice of favourite movie. I okay, wow, okay. Well, we'll have to. That's
3: got to be on the to watch list, I think, for for us, but also our listeners. Yeah,
1: there's a couple of um. There's a couple of versions of it. Try and make sure you get the version that uh, Polanski uh, had the editorial cut over, because um, mm-hmm. there, there is a version that was cut by one of the producers which buggered it up. Yeah, one- yeah right. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Interesting.
3: Well, John, we've come to a very special part of this, uh, I guess, interview. And normally what we do with guests, we have a little trivia section. So... Yeah. We've got a little trivia. It's just true I've or false. A,
1: focus, you know? yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel
3: strongly that you'll do quite well. Um, so, num- <laughs> number one, many of the actors who played the Nazis in Casablanca were, in fact, German Jews who had escaped from Nazi Germany. True or false?
1: Um, a couple of them were. Um, but yes, true. That is true. Wow. Off to a
3: flyer. Mm. Okay. So the sets for the film were from Warner Brothers and due to wartime restrictions, they were recycled sets. All the sets, true or
1: false? Uh, I would say that was true as well. I don't know. but Yeah, uh- <laughs> it's
3: a, it's a good guess. It was actually, I mean, it's technically kind of true, but Rick's Cafe was built for purpose that was one of the only sets the rest were um, recycled so it's a bit of a sneaky
1: one Uh (laughs) we'll give you a half point for that yeah yeah, you know thinking about it that's probably uh, yeah i can imagine that's true yeah yeah
3: um what else have we got here so in 2006 the film script was named best best screenplay of all time by the writers guild of america true or false
1: um, that'd be a, uh, that'd be a bit, uh, touch and go as well, because uh it was changed so many times mm-hmm. and the ending was changed so many times, even when they were, but look, I think it's, uh, I believe it is. So I'll say it's true.
3: I like it. And it is true. That is correct. Hey. Good stuff. John Wood. Okay. So moving <laughs> along, Sam's piano the actual piano sold for more than $600,000 at a New York auction in December
2: 2012?
1: Um, That wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, uh, things that I would consider much lesser value have sold for much more. (laughs) Uh, I'd I'd say, yeah, I'd say that was true as well. That is true. Dominating this, John.
2: Yeah.
3: So... Lucky last, Warner Brothers purchased the play for $100,000, the most ever paid for unproduced work up to that time.
1: Uh, it's possible, but I, I, that's a lot of money in those days. I, I think that's too much. Considering they had writers like Scott Fitzgerald working in their script department, I think, I think that's probably too much.
3: That's correct. It is false. Wow. There you go. John, you Always win the false. car. You've done yeah. it.
1: What do I win? Uh, I said- <laughs> you win Paul Cookson's car. We obviously <laughs> must multiply one. Hang on, Paul what? Will... <laughs> yeah, Paul will give you his car. Oh, what? That's uh... a master. That's
3: great. Um, no, very good.
2: Thank you. Very good. Yeah, um, no, well done.
1: But they're all, I mean, they're all common sense, aren't they? Really? Yeah. yeah. Just...
2: yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah,
0: Absolutely. So, but yeah, you're right. Humphrey Bogart, he's got such a presence on on his uh, everything he does. He's just got such a presence. The, the way in this, in this film, the amount of classic lines that came out of it, um, primarily shot kind of in the, in the one area for a lot of it, but just the scenery and everything, it's just so beautifully shot. Um, yeah, absolute classic. Yeah. It's um,
1: yeah, yeah, strong film. choice. Yes, John. Before we, sorry, go on. You know, Michael Curtis directed it, but he's the one that is, I think he's the one that's reputed to have said, uh, Bring on the empty horses. He was Hungarian.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I heard this. Yeah. yeah.
1: But the other thing is, you know, like when he said, Bring on the empty horses, David Niven and Errol Flynn pissed themselves laughing. <laughs> and, uh, and Michael said, you guys, you think I know fuck nothing, but I don't fuck all.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. <awesome>. Uh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. Well, John, cool. thank you so much for your time. Great film choice. It's been an absolute pleasure. But before we let you go, is there anything that you want to promote or anything you want to tell us about that you're working on? or? Anything like that? We can all go watch Blue Healers again.
1: Whatever you yeah, want. A
0: memoir as well, which looks like a great yeah. The um,
1: the uh, the name of the uh, TV series I've been working on is uh, Homes Roost. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it'll that's how it'll go to air, but that's it's uh, it's set in a retirement village, full of old actors. Mm. And, I mean, I started toying with this at least 30 years ago. And with a couple of old mates in mind back then, Bob Warnery and Frank Thring and various other people. And, of course, now they're all long dead. Uh, the, the the current version of it is uh, written for many more of my contemporaries, you know, like people like Max Gillies and... Nolene Brown, who's a little bit older than I am, but uh, she's a knockout. And uh, Lisa is to play Lisa McKeown is to play her daughter. Oh, How wow. About- oh, wow. <laughs> well, you know, like that's if, you know, these are the yeah. people I managed to get for a reading we did. A, we did a Zoom reading about two months ago. And mm. the pe- people were scattered all across Australia. And uh, we had Max and uh, Lisa, Lex Marinos, John Darham, Shane Porteous. You know, so it's uh, hopefully they're all going to be still involved. They all love the idea and love the love the script. So Perfect, hopefully, hopefully that'll get up. Um, fingers crossed. So fingers crossed. We're, we're in. Mm-hmm. I can't, You know, arthritis. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're in, with a production company at the moment, and uh, it looks like we're you know hopefully we'll be okay. We'll get yeah. it. So, um, yeah. And then Max and I are back in back on stage early next year in Adelaide and Perth in a show called Mono, uh, which we've done several. Well, you know, quite a lot of performances of already around New South Wales and Brisbane and. Uh, a few in Melbourne, and we're doing that in January, January and May, I think, next year in Adelaide and Perth. and uh, And it's it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and we'll be doing that with Emily Tahini, who you probably know from uh, McAuliffe's Mad as Hell.
3: And, yes, uh, yep. yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> mind you, she's four. He's younger than Max and I, so <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> diversity, I guess,
3: you know. So yeah.
1: Fantastic.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, that oh. sounds like you've got a few things happening. And, and as we, you were saying, and we've definitely got our fingers and toes crossed that that show gets up and look forward to hopefully seeing it on our screens.
1: Well, yeah. let's hope so. Yes. Yeah.
3: John Wood, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: that has been a pleasure for me, too. Thank you.